Good morning. It's good to see each of you here this morning. We have a good number of visitors among us. We're grateful that you have decided to come our way to worship God with us this morning. If you have any questions or concerns about anything that you've seen or heard, uh, we encourage you to reach out to one of our members and ask them, and they will try to point you in the right direction. If you're looking uh, for a church home, and certainly we would love to welcome you here at Roanoke. Uh, any of our elders would be more than happy to talk to you uh, about that and try to address any concerns or questions uh, that you might have. But we're grateful that you're with us uh, this morning. There's a three-letter word that is often asked uh, by those who are younger, those who are children, uh, to their parents. And it's a question that as they are older and as they are learning, uh, it's a question that we oftentimes encourage them uh, to ask. And yet it's also a question that while they are younger, while they are in that younger stage, it can, I guess, become quite aggravating if they are to ask it over and over and over, time and time and time again. And that is the question why? And oftentimes our children will ask us, well, why did this happen? Or why did that take place? Or why did you say that? Or why did you tell me no? Or why did you tell me that I can't do this? Or so on and so forth. When we think about the word why, I suppose it carries this idea of a curiosity about it, doesn't it? It's this idea of having a strong desire to know or to learn something about which you may not know very much. When you and I, as adults, whenever we ask the question why, it's generally because we wish to know more about something, isn't it? That we don't know all that there is to know, that the, the, the amount of knowledge that we have about something is not satisfactory to us, and we wish to expand our understanding depending on whatever the topic might be. For many things in life, you and I can ask the question, why? And generally, thanks to the internet and thanks to uh, the ways that we have to research things today, we can generally find all the information that our heart desires to know about any kind of subject uh, that might be out there. And we have to be willing to be satisfied, however, with knowing that there are some things, though, that we just simply don't know answers to. Sometimes when we ask the question, why, we just simply are left with not knowing why things are the way that they are. This morning, I want to ask the question, why? As it concerns truly the most important destination that any, that any person on this earth, past, present, or future, could ever be going. It's not a vacation. It's not some getaway destination that we're talking about. It's not even a place that you can buy your way into at some point in life. But rather, we're talking about this important place that you and I know of as heaven. As it concerns this place for you and I that is of the utmost importance, you and I are to ensure that that is where our eternal residence is going to reside. When we talk about heaven, it really ought to pique our curiosity, shouldn't it? It ought to pique our interest as it concerns this place called heaven. You and I ought to be individuals who are doing all that we can to make sure that we are knowing all that we can know about this place that we are hoping to go and to spend our eternity one day. Now, certainly there's going to be things about this place that we don't know. There's going to be things about heaven that we just simply aren't able to understand with our finite minds in the way that we have been created today. It's a place to which we've never been. It's a realm about which we know very, very little. And I suppose because our minds are so limited, maybe you and I can't even begin to understand or comprehend just because of how our minds work. And yet, as you and I read through the New Testament, as we read through Scripture, I suppose it teases us just enough, doesn't it? It whets our appetite just enough. It peaks and plays with our curiosity and interest just enough, perhaps to make us wonder and ask this question, why? 
Why do I want heaven? We, we talk about it all the time. We read about it and we study about it. But have you ever asked yourself the question, why do I want to go there? Why do I want heaven to be my eternal destination? When we read through the Bible, specifically getting into the book of Revelation, when you read into Revelation chapter 21, John is writing there and he's describing for us a place called heaven, this place that we wish to go, but he is using what you and I would call in our language today superlative terms. In other words, he is using terms uh, that we know today, that we know in our world that make sense to us to describe a place That is nothing like anything that we have ever seen. In other words, it is a realm that we know really nothing about, and yet John is trying to help paint for us a picture. So he's using terms and things that you and I can understand and that you and I can know. And if you read in Revelation chapter 21, John begins to describe for us this place called heaven. And within this, he begins to talk about these crystal clear and high walls of jasper. He talks about the gemstones that are there. He talks about this city of clear glass, how it has a street of gold, how there are 12 gates there that are like pearls. He mentions how there is no more sun, there is no moon, and that it's only lit by the glory of our Father in heaven. Talking about its gates are never closed. And when you read through Revelation 21, he gives us a detailed yet also a figurative picture of this place called heaven. This place that you and I so desperately wish to go, we have somewhat of a picture of what it looks like, but that still really doesn't answer the question, why? Why do you and I want to go to heaven? Why do we want to make this our eternal destination? Four areas of observation this morning, and then we'll offer the Lord's invitation, and the sermon will be yours. Why do I want heaven? Number one, I want heaven because of who created it. I want heaven because of who created it. When you and I begin to think about God, And when we even begin to try to comprehend or to understand his wisdom and his foresight, it's truly uh, an impossible task. His wisdom is so vast. It is so much more advanced than our minds could ever even begin to understand. And we see that play throughout the scriptures. The fact that from the very beginning of time, before the beginning of time, God understood how everything was going to take place. And he set specific things in motion to try to help us in our day and age. The fact that talking about the church was God's eternal purpose from the very beginning. You can read in passages like Ephesians chapter 3, beginning there in verse 8, where Paul says, To me who am less than the least of all of the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the age has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities, and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we're not going to dig too deep into this. We're going to save that for a little bit later on in this year. I'm going to do a a walkthrough on Sunday nights later on through the book of Ephesians. But from the very, very beginning, you and I understand that the church this eternal institution, this place of perfect joy and rest for us as Christians That was there from the beginning. It was hidden in the plans from the beginning, and it was for us to be able to enjoy. I think about Titus chapter 1, where it talks about eternal life, how each of us can secure it. Titus chapter 1 verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie did what? Promised before time began. When I think about God and I think about his wisdom, his his ability to know what the future is like and to plan in the future with us in mind, Brethren, it ought to make us feel so grateful for that. 
That this, that they're talking about God, He's the one who has created this place of eternal abode, this place that you and I should so desperately wish to end up once this life is over. When we, when we think about the creator of heaven, we think about the creator of the world. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and at the very beginning of our quarter here as we're, that we're going through in, the, in this survey of the Old Testament, we talked a little bit about this creation of the world, didn't we? And we talked about how it wasn't just by pure chance, it wasn't just by a random explosion, it didn't just happen, but rather there is perfect design. There is a perfect creation behind everything that has taken place because there's a perfect creator behind it. That is who is behind this place of beautiful, beautiful rest for those who are faithful to him. When, when I think about wanting heaven, I understand that I want it because of who created it. The fact that it was created for us. You know, we, we talk about how we weren't created for hell, how that wasn't our eternal destination in mind when God created his people we understand that that was created for the devil and his angels, Matthew chapter 25. But on the flip side of that, I suppose we could say that we were created with heaven in mind. That that is supposed to be our eternal destination should we live our lives in harmony with the gospel. Should we do what God has required of us? We understand that's where we're going to go. And it was all because of the wisdom and the creation of God. From the very beginning, God understood, understood how things were going to take place. God understood that Jesus Christ was going to have to come to this earth, that he was going to have to live a perfect life, he was going to have to leave us a perfect example, and that he was going to eventually be that perfect sacrifice, how he would establish his perfect church, and how you and I would each have an opportunity to be added to that perfect institution. We have an opportunity to be in heaven because of the one who created it. Here's number two. I want you to think about this. I want to be in heaven. I want heaven because of who will be there. I want heaven because of who will be there. You know, sometimes when you think about going places, maybe you go on vacation with somebody, with, with some, some people, uh, sometimes that can affect how you're feeling about your trip, can't it? Um, and, uh, you know, if you like the people that you're going on vacation with, you're going to probably have a really good time. Uh, but if you don't like the people that you're vacationing with, maybe just don't go on vacation with them. But if you have to go on vacation with them, uh, that can affect your mood, can't it? It can affect the way that you feel about your trip and how, how things happen during your time together, all simply because of who is there with you. As it pertains to heaven, you and I know exactly who it is that's going to be there with us. And that in and of itself when we study about who's going to be there, it ought to make us feel so overjoyed. It ought to make us feel so grateful, so happy to know that that's where we're going to be and to know that that is who we're going to spend our time with. We understand when we look at who's going to be there, we know that God the Father is going to be there. When we understand about who's going to be in heaven, we've already talked about God. We've talked a little bit about who he is. and I suppose trying to maybe understand a little bit about how he works uh, in, in this time. The, the fact that God is omniscient or, or the idea that God is all knowledgeable. Psalm 147 at verse 5. The idea that God is omnipresent, that he is able to be present everywhere at all times. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 24. The fact that God is holy. Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 6. We can talk about God's love. 1 John 4 and verse 7. God's mercy. Ephesians 2 and verse, chapter, verse 4. God is just. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4. God is so much more than you and I could ever imagine. God is simply perfect. We understand that he's our creator, that he is our sustainer, that he is, he is faithful, he is unchanging, he is magnificent in every way possible. 
And we get to commune with him, our father, him being our father, we being his children, being able to enjoy that intimate relationship. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. What a blessing that is. When I think about God, understanding that from the very beginning of time, understanding that his creation was going to be imperfect, that his creation was going to falter, that they were going to sin, and because of that, he sets in place this scheme of redemption, this gospel plan of salvation, and if that it would be believed and that if it would be obeyed, eternal life with him would be guaranteed, all thought out, all set in place, all set into motion, all by our Father. We talk about God, we understand that God didn't have to do any of that, did he? God who is far more powerful, God who is far more magnificent, far greater than anything that you and I could ever think or ever comprehend, and yet God, that same God, allows us, his finite creation, to have that opportunity. The one who did everything for us, that's who is going to be in heaven with us. Number two, I think about the fact that Jesus the Son will be in heaven with us. Jesus, as a part of the Godhead, talking about deity himself, you read John 1, 1 through 3, and also getting into verse 14, we know that Jesus was God, and then he came and became God in the flesh. The one who came to this earth to live that sinless life, 1 John chapter 3, at verse 5. The one who came to this earth to leave us that perfect example that we are to follow, 1 Peter 2, verse 21, we referenced that a moment ago. The one who came to this earth to die on the cross for us. I think so many times we, when we think about the sacrifice of Jesus, we understand that he went to the cross, but that it was because of us that he went there. First Peter chapter 2, beginning of verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Isaiah 53, beginning of verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Jesus Christ, having done everything for us to put us in a better position. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about how personal the sacrifice of Jesus, him going to the cross. Have you ever thought about how personal that is? How he came to this earth for you and for me. He endured the ridicule, the mockery, the scourging, the blaspheming, everything he went through, all so that we don't have to go through it. Also that we can have this home in heaven one day. It's a beautiful picture. That's why I want heaven. Because of what Jesus has done for me and the fact that Jesus is going to be there where would I be if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, my Lord? Here's number three. Who will, who will be in heaven? I think about Christians who have passed on. There was a man who said once in the midst of his family reunion, and I don't know if this is true or not. This is just some, I guess, preacher adage that has been passed on and on. But he said in the midst of his family reunion, he said, all of us will probably never, ever be able to be together again due to the busyness of life and due to the old age of others. But so he said this. He said, so live your life so that one day you can join that reunion that never comes to an end. Have you ever thought about talking about those who have passed on? Have you ever thought about godly faithful mothers who have lost a child far too early and the reunion that they're one day going to be able to have with that child? Have you ever thought about families going back into the times of, of the New Testament, talking about those Christian martyrs who lost their family or their friends in faithful service to Christ? and the reunion that they are enjoying right now. 
Think about faithful grandparents. We all know of individuals who have passed on, whose company you and I are no longer able to enjoy, and yet one day how we're going to be able to be reunited with them for an eternity. Faithful soldiers who have ran their race, who have crossed their finish line, who, like Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, finished his course in the way that we are able to be with them. That's why I want heaven. I want to be able to spend, I suppose, what seems like maybe an eternal day off. A day that never ends. A day where we'll get to enjoy fellowship with them and worship and praise to God with no worries, no care, no sorrow, and no stress. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands crying out with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne to the Lamb. Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 and 10. I think number four and also number five, I think about brethren who we really don't know. Brethren who are here today that we know, but then brethren who are perhaps on the other side of the world. Brethren who perhaps have lived in times past. Brethren who are in the future, maybe that maybe haven't even been born yet. Should the Lord live, or should the Lord rather let us continue to live on this earth for however many more years? Think about all of the brethren that you know, but the brethren that you also don't know. You know, the church is far larger than what's right here in Roanoke, Texas, isn't it? I grew up in St. Louis, and in that area, there were a lot of congregations of the Lord's Church. And I know probably hundreds of people in that area who are faithful Christians. I I spent a lot of time uh, during my, uh, I guess, older, older, that sounds bad, I'm not old. I'm not old, okay? Um, I really, I never should have said that in the first place. It's going to keep coming back up, going to keep coming back up. But I think about when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20, my time in Middle Tennessee to where just a few years ago where I was preaching there. And I think about the hundreds, probably thousands of faithful Christians that I know in that area. Thinking about Tennessee and Alabama and Georgia, what we would call the Bible Belt, right? And there's hundreds of thousands of Christians there. And yet I understand that the church is far larger than that, isn't it? The church is far larger than what we know here in the United States of America, and it's simply amazing to think about. that There are thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of faithful New Testament Christians who are around our world that we don't even know, that we don't even know exist, and how one day we're going to be able to commune with them in heaven for an eternity. It's special because when we get to heaven, it's going to be a reunion of sorts. I know that sometimes family reunions perhaps are not your most favorite thing, but this is different, isn't it? This is different because it's a reunion in which we will all be grateful to be there. We will all be there to worship our God in heaven above. It's a reunion of faithful soldiers who have battled, who have fought, and who have won, and who are able to share and enjoy their eternal reward that God has allowed them to have. That's why I want heaven. Number three, why do I want heaven? Well, I want heaven because of who will not be there. I want heaven because of who will not be there. And I suppose it's interesting to phrase it this way because you and I know that when we, we study about God, and we, we've, we've referenced this before, God wants all of his creation to be in heaven in eternity with him. God's not partial. God has not selected some to go to heaven. He has not selected some to miss out on heaven. That's Calvinistic ideology. He doesn't love some more than others. He, he's given every single person the exact same opportunity to answer the gospel call. You can look at passages like 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, so on and so forth. So what do we mean? 
And when we talk about heaven, not only wanting heaven because of who created it and because of who's going to be there, but in saying that I want heaven because of who's not going to be there. Well, let, let's talk about it. Who's not going to be in heaven? When, when you read in Matthew chapter 7, there Jesus it, beginning to close out the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about those who practice lawlessness. And he talks about those who are going to be individuals who are not going to be in heaven. Not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father in heaven, verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. People who practice lawlessness, people who proclaim to be Christians, profess to be Christians, but don't live their lives in such a way will not be in heaven. What about those who are living lives that are not to be considered righteous lives? First Corinthians chapter 6, beginning of verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. You want to know who won't be in heaven? You read passages like this, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 all the way through verse 32. Read uh, Revelation 21 and verse 8. Read Galatians chapter 5, talking about uh, the works of the flesh. But when we think about this from our perspective, I suppose we can't really say that we rejoice in that, do, can we? Because when we, when we talk about it, we're, these are individuals. These, these are people, aren't they? These are precious souls that Jesus has died for, people who live for themselves, people who are confused, religiously speaking, people and souls who are lost and who are not going to spend their eternity in heaven with God. I guess we can't really say that, that that's our drive or that that is our want in going to heaven because people like that aren't going to be there. So what do we mean when we say, I want heaven because of who will not be there. Well, I think we understand that we're talking about the one for whom hell, the other eternal abode, was ultimately created for. We're talking about the one who's called the tempter, right, in Matthew chapter 4. The one who's called the ruler of the demons in Matthew chapter 9. The evil one in Matthew 13, the enemy in Matthew 13. A liar and a murderer in John chapter 8, the ruler of the world in John chapter 14, talking about our adversary, 1 Peter chapter 5. That's who we don't want to see. When we talk about the devil, or when we talk about Satan, and we're not going to get into too much detail because we have some sermons coming up. We have a whole quarter coming up in our Bible class curriculum that's going to cover this. But when we talk about the devil, we understand that he wants what is worst for you. He wants you to fail, doesn't he? He wants you to falter. He wants you to suffer, to have no comfort or happiness in this life because he's the one who's going to be missing from heaven. And he wants you to miss it right along with them. And I suppose there are some misconceptions about hell, and I don't remember who I was talking to uh, about this idea just a couple of weeks ago, but I think that there are too many people who think when, when they discuss the idea of, of people going to hell, that they're just going to go to hell with the devil, and that they're going to be able to party it up in hell with him, and that they're just going to miss out on heaven, but that they're going to have a great time in hell with, with, with him for an eternity. Brethren, when did the devil ever become your friend? Sure, he wants you to spend your eternity with him. He wants to share that with you, doesn't he? But it's because he can't get out of it. 
It's because he can't go anywhere else, and so he wants people to suffer there with him as well. Think about a couple of passages. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, we referenced that a moment ago, but at the very end of that verse, it talks about the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Matthew 25 and verse 46, and these will go away into everlasting punishment. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 9, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Matthew 13 and verse 50, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Mark 9 and verse 43, to go to hell and to the fire that shall never be quenched. We mentioned how people sometimes think that when they get to go to hell, with the devil, it's just going to be a grand old party with him. Brothers and sisters, that's not a party that I ever want to attend, is it? That's not why I want heaven. Because, or excuse me, that is why I want heaven. Because of what it's going to be like, but because of who is going to be there, and how I don't want to share that place with him. Because the only other alternative is spending an eternity with the one who's not in heaven. That's not a place I want to go. I want heaven because of who will not be there. Here's number four. I want heaven because of how long I will be there. I know that for children, and I guess for adults too, time is a difficult thing to grasp, isn't it? And it's hard to understand sometimes. You know, for, for a child, when, when they're really young, uh, a week seems like a really long time, doesn't it? A month, it seems even longer than that. And don't even talk about a year to a child. You're going to have to wait a whole other year before you get to Christmas again, right? That just seems like what we say sometimes, an eternity, doesn't it? It seems like it's going to take forever before we get to that point. But I suppose the older that we get, the faster time, I guess, in our mind seems to move. And I really think it's just our perception of time, the way that we view time, because we know that the clock doesn't tick any faster today than it did, you know, some thousands of years ago. I suppose it's just how we perceive it. But for you and I to live a full life, some 80 years or so, if we call that a full life, we consider that to be a good long life, don't we? We think back to Bible times in the very beginning, where people in that day lived uh, to be hundreds of years old, probably into the thousands. We read about Methuselah there being 969 years, years old. That, that, that's hard to grasp, isn't it? Living a life for that long. And yet when you and I begin to even try to understand the duration of heaven, of how long heaven is going to last, it's really difficult to comprehend. Because everything that you and I know, everything that we understand is right here, isn't it? We know everything that's right in front of us, and everything that we know right here has a beginning, and it has an end. One day, whatever it is that we're talking about is going to end, and it's going to be no more. And when you begin to branch out from talking about that, I guess our mind can become, can get kind of confused with things. When we talk about heaven lasting for an eternity, what does that really mean? Obviously, our bodies, our earthly temples, the, 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 the temples that we possess today, they don't last forever. We understand that. They take a toll. They take a beating. Uh, they wear down. They break down. They're eventually going to perish. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, uh, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And yet, when we talk about our souls, talking about that which lives inside of us, that is what lives on for an eternity. For a length of time that never ends. A length that will always be in continuance. Talking about a length of time that's never going to stop. That's never going to quit. That will always be. Brethren, that's the eternal life that I want so desperately. It's the eternal life that God promised us in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. 
Brethren, that's why I want heaven, because it's never going to end. We, we say sometimes in, in, our, in our, our day and age, we say all good things must come to an end, right? And yet when we talk about heaven, we understand heaven is not going to end. There's not going to be any goodbyes. There's not going to be any of this, you know, see you later or till next time. It's just sim- simply never ending. It's a never ending opportunity to worship and to praise God. Revelation 19, verse 5 and 6. It's a never ending opportunity to commune and to fellowship with our brethren. It's a never ending opportunity to enjoy a time where there's no sorrow, no suffering, no heartaches, no tears. Revelation 21, verse 4. I want heaven because of how long I'm going to be there. There's an older story of an older woman. I may have told this before in, in times past. But there's an older story, uh, or story of an older woman who would go around and she would, uh, she would ask people if they're going to heaven. That was, the question, that was how she would greet people. She would just say, my, this is mine. Hello, how are you? This is my name. Are you going to heaven? Uh, one day she went to the doctor and she had some, some tests done and those lab results came back. Uh, and the doctor told her that she wasn't going to have much time to live. And she, she looked at the doctor and she said, shame on you. Why do you look so sad? She said, you just told me that I'm going to be able to go meet my Lord and Savior that much sooner. She continued her checkups with him until she became too sick and she was eventually admitted to the hospital. And whenever there was a nurse or someone uh, who worked there who came in to see her, she would always say and ask the question, are you going to heaven? Many of the workers there enjoyed that, and they would talk amongst themselves and talk about how nice it was to be asked that question. But there was one doctor in particular who, when assigned to work with her, uh, couldn't stand it. He he hated it that she always asked him if he was going to heaven. Um, He thought thought she was crazy. But, But the story goes that the more time this doctor spent around this particular patient, the more his curiosity was piqued. The more his interest uh, began to grow, and he eventually got to the point to where he opened up a Bible, and he began to study it. He found a preacher, and they began to study together, and eventually he was baptized, answering the gospel call. One day, he came back to check in on his patient, and he learned that this patient had passed on the night before. And so as this doctor was going out of the room, he looked and he saw some nursing students who were sitting at a desk waiting to go on to something else. And he went and introduced himself to them and he asked them at the very end, are you going to heaven? It's a question that we need to ask ourselves every single day, isn't it? When we wake up, we are uh, always confronted with choices. Some choices that really have no implications, but some choices that have big consequences and that determine where we're going to spend our eternity. And if you and I wake up every day and we ask ourselves, are we going to heaven? Are we living our lives in such a way to where heaven is our eternity? Then certainly we can know that as we live our lives, we don't have to worry about anything that goes on. We look in our world and we see all of the turmoil, the heartache, the strife, the struggles that everybody goes through. And certainly we go through them as well. But understanding that that's not the end. There is more than just simply what this world shows us today. There is something greater, something better a place that Paul wanted to go to, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 23. It's a place that we get to go to if we are living faithful Christian lives. Heaven, why do I want it? I want it because that is where a place of eternal rest is going to be. Maybe you're here this morning, perhaps you're not a Christian, 
Maybe you've been studying on your own. Maybe something was said this morning has piqued your interest, your curiosity. Maybe you want to study more about this. Know that you can do that. You can reach out to someone here. We'd be more than happy, more than willing to sit down, to open up the Word of God, to study, to try to answer any questions that you might have. But maybe you've been studying on your own, and you understand that right now you're not in fellowship with God, that right now heaven is not your eternal destination, and you want to change that. Know that you can do that. You can come forward, repenting of your sins, confessing Christ's precious name, and we can baptize you into water. But also know that you don't have to do that in that way either. Um, there's no book, chapter, and verse that says you have to walk down the aisle uh, at the end of a church service or worship service and do that. You can wait till folks are gone and you can grab somebody and we can do it after once most people are gone, whatever is most comfortable for you. Maybe you're here this morning, though, and perhaps you are a Christian, and maybe you once knew why you wanted heaven, but maybe you've lost sight of that. Perhaps you've lost sight of why you're even a Christian in the first place, and maybe there are things in your life that are taking you away from God, and you want to fix those things. You want to get your life back on track. Know that you can come forward, repent of those things, and we'll do all that we can to help you. Heaven, why do I want it? I want it because it's the best place that you and I could ever go at the end of this life. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.